Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where every week we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows and movies. My name is Tim Malloy. Thank you for being here. My guest this week is Dan Taberski, who you know from a couple of things, or you're going to discover uh, this episode and go check out these couple of things that I think you will be very intrigued by. The first is Missing Richard Simmons, the podcast that he worked on recently that drew a great deal of attention um, and some interesting reactions that I talked with him about in which he went searching for Richard Simmons, his former friend, Gone Missing. The second the second season of his podcast, which is titled Headlong, is called Surviving Y2K, and I think I like it even more. It's so fascinating. It's the story of the turn of the millennium and what certain people did to prepare for it, the way that really none of us can anticipate the future, and life just takes us on these turns that we could, couldn't possibly anticipate. It's It's not so fun to live in life sometimes when you're being constantly surprised and uh, (laughs) having things go a different way than you thought they would. It's stressful, as we all know. Um, But hearing other people's stories from 18 years ago is wonderful. And Dan really digs in. And one of the most excellent things about this podcast is that he also talks a lot about his own journey and his own extremely life-changing event that corresponded with the new millennium that you should listen to on the podcast because I cannot come close to doing his story justice. It's excellent and beautiful and just so, so human. Uh, If you like this podcast, please give us five stars on iTunes or use that little thing at the bottom of your phone to share it with someone else and pay them a compliment. Say something like, I think you would like this because you, like me, are a person of great curiosity and intellect. And now... Please enjoy this interview with Dan Tversky. So I listened really intensely to the first the first season of Headlong, Missing Richard Simmons, um, mm-hmm. sort of often while jogging, often through neighborhoods close to that. So uh, like I would run through Beverly Hills, very close to where Slimmons was. His, uh, his oh, gym. right. And so this, I really felt this really acutely. Like I can remember where I was for almost every episode. Huh. Yeah. I had a, I had a real connection with it. And then there was a point in that when it sort of turned, like things sort of, there were a couple of articles that kind of went against you where it started with the New York times that said, this is potentially irresponsible. Um, yeah. What was your response to that? And did that inform what you're doing with the new season at all? Um, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, so my response to it was, I mean, I didn't really respond. I, I was so in the middle of making it um, uh, that when that was all happening, like I did the thing where you like turn off Twitter and like put away your phone. And, and I, I sort of blocked it all out just because it was too much noise. I mean, I was getting response uh I was getting a crazy amount of response, just people really connecting with Richard and connecting with the podcast. And then you have the backlash. I mean, it's, it's people tell you about this sort of process and then it actually turns out to be true. Like there's the thing and then there's the backlash and then there's the backlash of the backlash. Uh, and it all happened just like people said it would. Uh, and uh, so it was unnerving to know that there were some people out there who were questioning um, the project, but uh, from where I stood, it was it was much more just people connecting to Richard Simmons, this guy, and and, and this real uh, concern for him. So it, it it wasn't hard to 
tune it out. Um, it wasn't hard to tune it out. Uh, at least, at least for the time being. And then when I was done writing it, you turned Twitter back on and you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like the criticism of it was kind of that you were seeing the search for Richard Simmons through your lens, like how the world was responding to you, making it very personal and very much. This is, this person isn't responding to me. Why are they not responding to me personally when he might've just had other things going on? But I think one of the greatest strengths of surviving, surviving Y2K is that it is so personal. The fact that first you're conducting the interviews, but later you bring your own life and experience into it in the third episode in a really incredible and beautiful way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's funny. I mean, with Mr. Richard Simmons podcast, this is my first podcast, uh, which is not saying that much. I mean, podcast is podcasting is still really new. Um, but in terms of documentary, it was the first time I tried to do something in just the audio format and it ended up becoming really personal. It was a story that I was, I, the reason I was able to tell the story is because I was there. Uh, and so I knew all the people who were connected to it. I wasn't just this guy on the outside mm -hmm. sort of parachuting in trying to talk about something that I really didn't know about. Uh, and so it was personal from the get-go. Um, and then, uh, so that's sort of how I started in terms of storytelling with podcasts. And um, and uh, and in terms of moving forward, like with Surviving Y2K, um, I like, I do, I, li I like that personal lens. Uh, I, I think... Um, there, there's nothing more, at least from from a, from an interviewer's standpoint, and from you know being a director and a producer for so many odd years. Um, there's there's never anything more interesting than passion. It's always the funniest. It's always the funniest thing. It's the saddest thing. It's the realest thing. Um, it's just cool to hear people hear people talk about something that it's no joke. They're really connected to it, and it means something to them. And so, to, for me to approach it from that way, it just kind of made sense uh and it's also like you're spending a year on this thing full time thinking about something uh and, about about a story and, and the story you're trying to tell and the things you're trying to say and so if you're not for me at least for me like to be intimately connected to it and see it through my own personal lens is a way to just that it makes it a year well spent and these people were so passionate i mean they thought the world was going to end in some cases yeah yeah people um it was this, it's an interesting thing for, you know, 19 years later, it was the thing that kind of Y2K kind of became a joke about this thing that everybody was worried about and never happened. Uh, but then diving back into it and, I mean, put away the bug for a second, put away the millennium bug, which was this real existential problem created by uh, the coding we had done in computers for the previous 40 years. Uh, putting, even putting that aside, just the... Um, just the idea that people, whether it happened or not, just the idea that the end was possibly coming, that some sort of apocalypse was going to happen, that that some sort of um, shift was going to happen in the world, um, it really activates people. I mean, it scared the hell out of some people, but for some people, they didn't see it as the end. They saw it as an opportunity. They saw it as as the chance to, you know, looking around at the world and saying, I do not like what I see. And uh, and here comes the apocalypse, and it's not just it's not just the end of days; it's also day one. Maybe it's like a sci-fi movie or something, but I feel like you could almost divide America into the people who use the phone as their main tool and the people who use the gun as their main tool. And with phone, people are like, "Oh my God, we can't have society crash. Everything I have is in this little device." And then you've got the gun people who are like, "Oh my God, finally the apocalypse is here. I've been waiting for all this bullshit to go away." And now I can finally go out and hunt and fish and live the way we've been supposed to live all this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But I would also, I would also say that I think a lot of the phone people, you know what? Like, I would throw my phone out the window. Like, I, I, I would gladly do it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an addiction, but like, you want to beat the addiction. So, you know, I think a lot of the phone people could get behind that as well. <laughs> I mean, I'm in West Hollywood. You're in New York. Personally, I don't feel like I would fare that well in the apocalypse. I don't know how to like cut down a tree and carve it into a boat or whatever. <laughs> I like that. I like that for you. If the apocalypse comes, the first thing you think is like, I need a boat. <laughs> gotta, gotta go sailing. <laughs> I, I guess it depends on whether there's an, any enemy that I need to escape from, whether anyone's coming in to get me. Right. My, my first thought is always, you know, go first to a sporting goods store steal a boat <laughs> that's a good on. that's a smart thing it's pretty good story that's a good that's a good place to start <laughs> so so what initially drew you into this story as people will hear when they listen to surviving y2k this was a really important crucial time in your life um yeah. but i want them to go listen to that we can sure. touch on it if you want to but i'd like them to you, you yeah. tell the story so well in the podcast is that why you were drawn to this or just because there were so many great stories here you know, for, for, for me, it was kind of an, it's always been, a, you know, you have a, you have a folder of just like ideas, just things they've been there for years. And one of these days you're going to find a way to tell a certain story. Uh, and for me, I've always, and Y2K has always been in there. And for me, I've always thought it was funny. Anytime it comes up that it's the joke, it's this thing that never happened. It wasn't real. That's how people look at it now. And for, and it's just so funny to me because I look at that. I literally think about that day, you know, all the time. Like it was a pivotal moment in my life. Uh, and so for me, it was the opposite of nothing. It was everything. It was when it was my day one. It was and it felt like the end of the world. And it's when a whole new life started for me. Uh, and so I've always that disconnect has always been funny to me. Uh, and so. It's kind it it basically turned into um you know I mean what in a lot of ways was the loneliest time of my life uh yeah. to then go back and populate it with people who were going through something just as cataclysmic in their own lives at the same time and now it it in a strange way it just doesn't feel as lonely like now i now i'm I, now i look back on it and it's just full of all these people who i know and uh and respect and appreciate and who did crazy things uh and yeah. and made it out alive to tell the story uh yeah. and uh and it's it's um it's a it's it's not i didn't know that was going to happen going into it but uh it was a great result for me you know, it's one of the only podcasts I've ever listened to and one of the only narratives I've ever found, not not found like I found it, but that I've listened to. But, you know, the first person you meet is pretty interesting. And I thought to myself, okay, I, I can ride with this. I can get involved with this person's story. And then you meet somebody who thinks Y2K is all a hoax. And you go, this is, this is even more interesting. This is a really strong point of view. And then the characters just ramp up and ramp mm -hmm. up and ramp up where you get to the survivalists who are pretty great. And so you're like, here's three really good stories. And then you meet the family who go to Israel yeah to try to wait out the apocalypse yeah. and live biblically for, you know, the rest of their lives, who the last thing I expect turned out to be kind of the most relatable and most lovable people, for me at least, in the entire thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. They're incredible. They're incredible. And and they and, and the great the, the podcast is six episodes, and it's definitely a build, uh, which is a challenge for anything. Like, I worked in television for 20 years. And you want to dump all your best stuff in the first episode. That's like the rule because other, you need to hook people. Uh, and, 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 and 
that's not what we did here. We sort of did the opposite in that <laughs> it, we're, we're following, you know, six to eight characters uh, through 1999, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and the new millennium and how it all turned out for them. But it's a build. And so the first two or three episodes, you're meeting people. And then there's sort of an hopefully what we were trying to do is there's like this emotional build of like, OK, now it's not just the first guy and the coder. Now it's the first guy, the coder, the survivalist. And then it's the first guy, the coder, the survivalist and the the biblical, you know, a true believers <laughs> in Israel. And then it's the first guy, a coder, a survivalist, the true believers in Israel and me. And then, you know what I mean? And, and so it's this is great. And, and so it feels like all these sort of lives circling around this one day. Uh, and then going into, um, into New Year's even after, like, we get to visit all those people again and, and see what happens to them. And so it's definitely um, and they all have amazing uh, their stories all end amazingly. Uh, not, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it sounds like I'm being, I say that in, 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 in that I love them for it, not necessarily the way I told the story, although I do think it turned out very good, but all yeah. their lives are incredible. Even for people who made really weird decisions, uh, you know, uh, they, um, their stories are great. And to be able to follow those, uh, through the six episodes, it's, it's super satisfying. And I even left out someone. The very first person we meet is a guy who adopts 200 hamsters so that he can eat them yeah. and their children for the next, um, the rest of history. Otis. What happened to the hamsters? What do you mean? Well, are, are the hamsters progeny, like, oh. still out there somewhere? <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. Uh, we, know that, we know that Otis with the hamsters died of alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I don't I don't know what he did with the hamsters. I mean, I certainly want wouldn't want to be stuck getting rid of 200 hamsters if the apocalypse didn't come. <laughs> um, but just that guy. I mean, it was that he was the sea. He was the first story I found. And I just couldn't believe it. And we spent so much so long looking for that guy um, because it wasn't just that he had done something crazy. I mean, people do crazy things all the time. I do. Everybody does. Uh, but what was so wonderful about it is that there was a logic he believed he, he was so certain about what was going to happen yeah. that he stocked his bunker with 200 hamsters to have a, an endless supply of meat. Uh, and, and that sort of certainty really typified uh, what I was trying to capture about the stories that we follow around Y2K. And it would have worked too. If only the world had ended, he was ready. It was a good plan. <laughs> Doing this podcast, whenever I'm listening to another podcast, I'm always thinking, how could you turn this into a movie? And specifically, how do you turn this into a movie that I want to see? Like, what would I like to sit in a theater on a Sunday mm. afternoon and watch? And listening to this, I've kind of changed perspective on the story that I'd most like to see. When you were making this, was there a certain story in your mind that you just thought, I would really like to see this on screen? Um for me this is this is so lame uh that, that for me the structure of it uh was what i was most compelled by the idea of taking these different stories and interweaving them around a central character that isn't a person at all it's a day that 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 forced these people to make a decision in their lives um mm -hmm. and um we we I, I we jokingly say i was we, uh, with the guys i, I worked with on the podcast that this is the love actually of podcasts uh, <laughs> in that, in that it's that just like love actually is like, you're not just following one story, you're following a bunch. And it's, and it's the, it's the combination of them uh, from all these different angles that really help you capture a special feeling. And so that is what 
um, that's what I had in mind when when we were making it, uh, and I think it holds true. Uh, when when you when you hear the rest, uh, I, I think it I think it lands. Uh, and so for me, when I when I think of if I were to make this into a movie or a TV series or a series, uh, that's what I think of. So it's like one of those Valentine's Day or New Year's Eve type movies. But cool. No, it's not like a Frank Marshall. I mean, I would. Yeah. Yes, I guess. Well, I mean, <laughs> like a Gary Marshall like cross. Yeah, the, cross but better. Babble, it's uh, like babble. it's sort of like Love Actually meets Go. Remember the movie Go? Oh yeah. So that's another one. It's like it's a sort of all these sort of weird, creepy stories and things happen and you and you, and you don't and you don't know why they're happening and, and there's a lot of surprises, but they're all just sort of revolving around this really fucked up night. Um, and um, I like that kind of thing. It's like the inverse of a sweet holiday. It's like the darkest, or it could have turned out to be the darkest holiday ever. Totally. <laughs> could have been a historically awful. Totally. It just didn't turn out totally. that way. And then what the, and, and then taking all that stuff, and then when it didn't turn out that way, what what do you do when you think the world's going to end and it doesn't? Uh, and, and, and how do you feel that whole uh, which is where it goes in episodes five and six. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of, it's just a weird, I don't, I don't even know what the, what the word is for the emotion that that engendered in, in the people that we follow that, that sense of loss for something that most people didn't even want. It's a weird. Yeah. It's like the depressing day after Christmas times a thousand. Exactly. Exactly. Christmas was actually a big thing. We, I thought about during this whole thing too, is that, is that, for Y2K, like it was the, the fact that nothing happened in Y2K, like the world didn't end. It doesn't mean the story is not tellable because that's what like that's what Christmas is. Like nothing ever happens on Christmas. Christmas is bullshit. It's the <laughs> month before Christmas uh, that everybody loves and talks about. That's where all the parties happen. That's where you buy the gifts and give the gifts, and and then Christmas finally comes and it sucks. Like so, I, I liked the challenge of, of telling a story like that. I mean, when I was a kid, hopefully you get like a big expensive book or something and you could go up to your room and read it for like the three hours after Christmas morning. And that was kind of the peak of Christmas. Jesus, that's that's grim. That's grim. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? It's great. It's it's intellectually. It sounds like an intellectually uh, uh, stimulating home, but it's certainly (laughs) it's certainly not what one. What happened to like train sets and stuff? Yeah, I guess train sets were a thing for a while, but. After you're out of the age where building the thing is really fun, and there's even like two hours that are kind of frustrating when you're building it, when you're like, God, why won't the G.I. Joe headquarters fit together? Totally. And then it's done. And then you're like, well, what now? Yeah. I mean, with Y2K, everyone would have had to build a big headquarters the next morning. (laughs) Some people did. Some some people did. (laughs) So in terms of how you would make this a movie, it sounds like it's not that complicated. I mean, you would do the things people do when they – they explain a movie, you combine certain characters and you pare things down and just kind of, you know, cut whatever you can cut and keep the structure. You got a pretty great movie. Yeah. And, and all the characters, you know, we follow about, about five different stories, six different stories. They all have a great beginning, middle and end. Everybody has a great story in the, in the new millennium uh, that, that really encapsulates the decisions they made. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it'd make a great movie. I do. Yeah, I thought for length you might need to cut it down and just choose one family um, or one story, and I would totally go with the family who went to Israel. I just, I really found them super compelling and interesting. Oh man, wait, wait till you hear the end of their story. Ah, oh, it's just so beautiful. I just love them so much. They're for people that were so 
fanatical and and made the craziest decisions to go thinking that Jesus Christ was coming back in the year 2000 and they were going to go to Israel and try to find the ark of the covenant and make the and make the apocalypse happen quicker by doing that and then to go and find what they ended up finding and have a total 180 and then to watch the process of them trying to come back to real life in America and and the sadness and and beauty of that like um if I had to pick one story, I, I think it would be them too. They're incredible and incredibly eloquent about describing their own experience too. Yeah, I'm always thinking like, what would the headline be? What would the headline be in the story of this podcast? And for this family, I feel like it's they are the real Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And I, I assume that they'd seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, obviously they were aware that that was a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually asked them that, uh, and I and and I cut it out uh, because it just seemed like uh, it seemed a little uh, stupid. It was like a stupid question. Like these people are going <laughs> to make this incredible odyssey to literally find this biblical relic. And I'm like, hey, have you guys seen that Indiana Jones movie? And I was like, yeah, I don't need to sound that stupid. But yeah, they had seen it and they knew what it was. And 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 actually, um, uh, Adair Lavan, the, the the mom of the family that goes to Israel. Um, we talked about how in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when you look uh, that it, it, when the, the scene when the Nazis their faces melt off because they look at the Ark without being qualified, right? Um, and they didn't. They believed something quite similar. Uh, like, um, yeah, Adair Levan knew that it was something that if they found it, she probably couldn't look at it because she was a woman. Um, what? Yeah. Um, that, that, that she was looking for something that her husband could look at, her husband could touch, um, but that she was not in that position because she was a woman. Really fascinating. Um, I, I would have gone with only her children could look at it because they were so pure of heart. Oh. But they never really explained those rules that well in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, yeah, it's, it's sort Nazis of Nazis definitely can't look at it. Yeah, they never they never really closed that loop. But you're right, we do know that Nazis can't look at it in terms of others. Yeah. Well, Karen, Karen, what's her name? Karen Black? Is that no? I'm not Karen Black. What's Karen that, Allen. What's her name? Karen, Karen Allen. Allen. She didn't look at it, right? No, she didn't. They closed her eyes, right? Well, she's a woman. Right. Well, Indiana Jones didn't look at it either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm acting really surprised that she had this really conservative worldview, and I am surprised, but. I shouldn't be because she's a person who moved to Israel to and gave up all of her earthly goods to live as if she were in biblical times. Of course, she's concerned. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as you as you move on to the podcast, you'll see she totally evolves from it uh, and, and, and takes all these beautiful things from her experience. But she she moves beyond it in in the most surprising way. Is there anyone you'd cast in the as these people in particular? Oh, my God. I haven't thought about that. It didn't. It didn't even. Um, I, I had uh, with the survivalists. Um, there's a little Nick Nolte going on with the guy. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, he was awesome. Uh, and his wife looks a lot like the short-haired chick from uh, The Walking Dead. Oh, awesome. Excellent. Yeah, she, she has experience with that with the apocalypse. Exactly. Well, I, she was immediately who I thought of because they're definitely like if if. Susan from The Survivalist, if, if, if the zombies took over, she would do exactly what that woman in... Uh, what's her name in, in Walking Dead? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, Melissa she, McBride. She would do exactly that. She had, she had a buzz cut, and she was badass. She was great. Yeah, and Carol's a great character. 
Walking Dead. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, that's a, yeah. So that's that. I guess Nick Nolte. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to work with Nick Nolte? Am I right? <laughs> Wait, it, is the third season of your podcast about Nick Nolte? <laughs> All right, my lips are sealed, <laughs> but I'm winking right now. <laughs> so you would definitely write and direct this, right? Uh, yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I would love to take a crack at something like that one day, um, and I and I think I I could I think I could do it and and, and do it pretty well. Um, you were probably kidding when you said that, and I'm sitting here taking no, it seriously. Oh, no, okay. I'm not. I mean, you worked on The Daily Show for years. You've done films. Yeah, so I'm a writer, no. producer, director. Like, yeah, I, I, I feel like I, 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 in some ways, could do it. But I also have to say that I've just spent a year. Um, a year is just is just production. Like, there was always just the thinking about it. I was just immersed in these lives and these stories and, and piecing together what how I wanted to tell it and, and, and what it meant to me. And it, it almost seemed like, I, I feel like I've done it. I feel like I've told the story I wanted to tell. And now I, I'm almost more curious to see how somebody else would do it. Uh, what, what they, what they would bring to it. Cause I've already, I've already given so much of what I can bring to it. I don't, I don't know what else there is for me to give. Um, but I love that sort of stuff. Like I love the sort of collaborations where somebody else takes something and then and you see totally, completely different things. Well, they'd certainly have to pay you some money for the rights. I yeah. Well, I'm sure we're we're definitely uh, we're definitely uh, uh, getting calls. So uh, yeah. So I'm not. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. That's awesome. And the calls from Hollywood are they more about uh, turning this into a TV show or movie or both? Both. Interesting. Yeah. Specifically for Y2K. Correct. Yeah, specifically for the podcast. Did you get calls on Richard Simmons too? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. We were Yeah, it, we, we, we we developed it. We we, we it's 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 into I can't I can't I can't say where, but uh but yeah, we we um it's it's in development. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I don't know how yeah. I missed that. No, no, no. We had, it was never announced. Did it need Richard Simmons' cooperation? Not really, right? It's no. It's it, it's actually more about me, uh, which is which is not a movie I would see. But hey, <laughs> <laughs> I would. Yeah, it's more about it's more about me and, and 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 the people who took his class who felt ghosted and and didn't know how to move on and and that process of trying to solve an emotional mystery uh, that um, that's impossible to solve. So is that in development as a show or as a movie? Um, as a show. Cool. But that's all I can say. Stop asking questions. Okay. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's really cool. Yeah. Nice. What were the major struggles, if there were any, to transition that from a podcast into a TV show? Uh, I mean, it's, I, I don't know that I could say enough about it to give you an interesting answer. Um, so that's, that would be my, that would be my answer to that. <laughs> But it's all I have to say. I mean, even with thinking about Y two K, like it's 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 storytelling, like it's it's beginning, middle, and ends, and 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 and, and trying to evoke a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I think I think if it touches something like you know tra- translating that to to another format doesn't 
it seems like a fun challenge. It, it, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like work to me. Since you were a Daily Show producer for so many years, was it fun to not have to worry about visuals with the podcast, or was it mm. difficult, or or both? Um, I miss the visuals, uh, and hopefully my next project will be a film. Um, but um, it, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I'm begin. I'm a big advocate for, and I, and I'm trying to be more of an official advocate for. For me, documentary filmmakers in particular uh, should be going to podcasting in a big way because if you're looking to tell stories in an interesting way, um, this format is incredible uh, in terms of doing that. Yeah, it, it's lack it, it, it lacks the visual, but but when you lack the visual, it just may it's like it's like going blind. And then your hearing gets better, and you just you you find so much more. Uh, to tell a story with in the audio um, that it doesn't really feel like a handicap. It just feels different. But I loved it. I, I really, truly did. Listening to podcasts, I really don't feel any of the resentment I feel for a show when a TV <laughs> show is dragging. Um, I can just, you know, go about doing what I was doing. This is going to sound so pretentious, but I was watching the Godard film Weekend the other night oh because Filmstruck is about to go away and I have to right. before they're gone. And there's one segment that's like 10 minutes long with a traffic jam. And I'm like, this is brilliant. This is so smart. This is so funny and dead on. But can we just move on now? Yeah. And with a podcast, if you hit kind of a slow patch, you can still finish your errands. You can still go wherever you're going. You're yeah. not stuck I, watching. It's an interesting, it's an interesting, and it's also, it's an interesting uh, calculation you make in your head too with a podcast. Like, cause you do know that, you know, you know, there's a little bit more, there are definitely times where, in the podcast where, where I want to, uh, I want to get cut to the chase. I want, I want to move quicker, but, but you stop yourself and, and all that time, like when you're making a movie or making a TV show, like you always, you, you want all that time to develop the characters. So you feel it that much more when the emotional punch comes, right? You, you need to spend time with this person, even if it's a little boring because you just need to feel like, you know, that person. Um, and it, it's really hard to do with a film and television without feeling frustrated. Uh, but with, I, I agree with, with, with podcasting there, there, there are easier ways around that, um, to spend, to burn that time and, and spend that time with a character, um, you know, without, without making the listener hate you, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely working for you. I hope. Uh, there's never a moment when we're like, oh my God, I hate these people. <laughs> Yeah. No, not for not for a minute. I was always like, oh, it's over already. It's oh, a bummer. Good. There are so many rules of writing a script for TV or film where every page should really be accounted for. Every minute on screen should really be accounted for. And it's hard to justify, you know, looking out at a vista for several minutes. It's just sort of, why are we doing this? It seems like you're freer to do what you want. And maybe that's because podcasts haven't been monetized the way that films and television have. Um, is there an advantage to not being... Mm. noted so much i mean is your stuff mm -hmm. better because you're not noted to death gosh how do i say this in a politic way um you're, you're still being noted to death no 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 not at all i i think what, what was what's interesting about television after after working in television for so long what it is you know i, I i've sold you know I, i've sold a bunch of ideas I've, I've had shows on the air and it's great it's it's super fun to to get there um but anytime you sell an idea they're not buying that idea. They're buying the potential of that idea to match the other things that they're developing so that all together it makes one large product, right, which is the network. Um, and so you always there's always that sense that um, even with the best of intentions that 
that they're buying the idea, but but they're it's gonna get changed. Um, huh. It's gonna get tweaked. They're they're gonna try to fit it into their format and into in the types of things they do. But with this, and especially my experience with Topic uh, and Pineapple Street, people once people are on board with the idea, they said we're doing this. It that's it. And so there's no like this doesn't fit with the rest of the stuff we do, or you know this doesn't fit on the network, or we need to make it more like this because we know this sells. Like, they, so all the notes were were for the first time in my life, uh, all the notes, and I got some extensive notes. Uh, I mean, people, you know, people take this, you know, the editing process is more like editing a magazine piece than it is editing a TV show. Like it is, it is intense. Huh. Um, but people are, every note is just from the place of. Dan, you said you wanted to make this thing, and, and, and what you're doing here, it, do, it doesn't sound like what you said you wanted to make. And so everything comes from they just want it to be, they just want to help my vision be as good as possible. Um, and that's freaking awesome. Like, so so it's, 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 it's a lot more fun because you feel like all the, all the, all the, all the notes and all the, all the tinkering are coming from a place of just really liking the process and, and wanting to be as good as it can be. And like, I don't know, it's just, it, it never had that sort of purity when I was in, you know, making a television show. People coming from outside with possibly different agendas than yours. Yeah. And different taste, different taste. Uh, but here it doesn't matter. I mean, my taste is my taste. If you bought the idea, you know what I'm doing, especially now you see Mr. Andrew Simmons, you know, you know, my sense of humor, you know, uh, you know, the types of things I find are interesting, you know, that, you know, all that stuff. And so it's just, and so it's not a surprise to anybody. Um, that people are just wanting to help me be as good as I can be. It's also nice to listen to someone who has in their back pocket, the ability to crack a really good joke because the Michael B. Jordan joke in the recent episode. Oh my God. Yeah. Very solid. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you. So winding down, can you tell us at all what season three of Headlong is going to be? What podcast you're working on next? Um, it is another, uh, you know, the whole thing about Headlong is it's it's looking at a person, a place, an event, uh, a time in, in popular culture or culture in general that I, that I think we're getting wrong. Um, and, uh, and, and, and Y2K falls into that category. Richard Simmons absolutely fell into that category. And the next one falls into that category as well. It's, it's something I've been personally fascinated with in the culture for years and years and years that everybody ignores and that I think is having a much larger impact on, uh, on our politics, on our society, uh, on the way we look at the things around us. I, I think it's having a huge impact and we just don't – we aren't acknowledging it. And so it's about, uh, it's, it's about that. It, it is a it is it is something that anybody could watch and that you would normally ignore, uh, but uh, but what, it, what I actually think is really important uh, and it touches on, on a lot of social issues, but through a, through a cultural lens and through my interest in that cultural thing. So um, so it, it's sort of a different way of talking about 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 things, but um, but uh, hey, you know, podcasting people let you try stuff, people let you try weird stuff, uh, and and spend a long time. And, 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 and a decent chunk of money uh, sort of pursuing it. So um, I'm lucky. <laughs>